Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, May 25th, 2021, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. We are happy to welcome Margie Kay back to the show. She is the CEO and president of a forensic investigation company, director of the Oz Interdimensional Communication Institute, and president of UnX Media. By night, Margie is a 40-year veteran UFO investigator, an author, and musician. She also serves as assistant state director and education coordinator for Missouri MUFON, and as the director of Oz Interdimensional Communication Institute. She's a licensed private investigator in Missouri and the author of 14 books with more on the way. Margie's a trained psychic and paranormal investigator and is clairsentient, clairaudient, clairvoyant, and is known as an extreme psychic and remote viewer. She is a MUFON star team investigator and has completed over 500 investigations for MUFON and over 1,200 UFO and paranormal investigations on her own. Margie's new book, Winged Aliens, discusses historic and current winged creature sightings that remain unexplained by conventional science. Sightings of pterodactyls, thunderbirds, mothman, giant birds, and even fairies that appear and disappear without a trace have perplexed man for centuries, yet no one has come up with a rational explanation as to why credible people have seen these creatures until now. Why is it that UFOs are sometimes seen in the vicinity of these creatures? In her book, Margie discusses the probability that these winged beings could actually be aliens or interdimensional beings moving in and out of our three-dimensional world. Check out her website, which is margiek.com, and we had listed other websites as well on our announcement. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds not heard in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Jada and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight uh, for those who may have a question or comment for Margie. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's continual dedication. You can download our shows, our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, all you have to do is click follow on our page here, and you'll get our biweekly show notices if you enable those. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one Zoom session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, Emerald, Miara, Riley, or myself. Lavendar's sessions are available now for her established clients only and have been redesigned to focus on your solar return, covering your natural state, your rites of passage and masterships, as well as covering your solar return and your current transits. So you'll be getting everything in a one-hour session, which would be scheduled ideally just before your birthday. Riley, Emerald, excuse me, and Miara are now available for the live Stage 2 sessions, so you'll be able to have a Starseed consultation in a matter of weeks rather than months. 
Now, remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you're going to get a 10-hour window of power, of great manifestational power, and you can find out exactly when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And that usually takes less than a week. But if you want the stage two interpretation of that chart, um, you're going to have to order it ahead of time. And you can do that with Emerald, Riley, and Miara. Uh, but with me, you'll need to order about six months ahead. So keep that in mind, and you can check out the new pages on our website. So first up tonight, I would like to introduce uh, Anastasia, if I can find her phone number on the switchboard. Okay, there you are, with the Starseed News. Good evening, Ariel. Hello, everybody. It's great to be back with you. Missed you while you were on a trip, so it's good to be here. Well, we'll get on with the news tonight. You know, I want to say to you, it's pollen season where I live. And, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm always hoarse anymore from sinus and pollen. But it's pretty strong right now, so I hope I can get through this without rasping. I talk all day long. And so by the time I come to the news, it's time for my voice box to rest. So I'll do the best (laughs) I can for you. But if you ever wonder why I sound like Darth Vader uh, show after show, it's sinus and pollen and such as that. It's either too cold and I don't have enough humidity, or all of the beautiful trees are blooming. They smell so sweet and lovely, but man. So anyway, just like giving you a heads up, guys, if I crack or cough or whatever. <laughs> don't worry about on. it. Don't okay. worry about it. Okay. All right. Well, let's start out with a great story. This is so, you know, I love ducks, and I love baby ducks. Who doesn't love a baby duck? And I remember, oh, years and years ago, I was traveling at high speed along an interstate in California up north of Mount Shasta, and there was a duck crossing the interstate with her babies right behind her. Man, oh, man, did I swerve. I tell you what, didn't get them, but gosh. And they were so sweet, and I worried about them after I passed because they had a whole other four lanes to cross when they were out of my sight. Well, here's a story, happy story about a mother duck who actually waited for help after her babies fell into a drain. Uh, According to this story, a man was observing a cute little duck family cross the road together and was just delighted, as I felt, until he watched as one by one each tiny duckling accidentally fell down into a nearby drain. The mother duck could see her babies down in the drain but couldn't get to them, and she waited helplessly nearby, hoping she'd somehow, somehow get her babies back. Well, the man just immediately knew that he needed to help this little duck family, and he called the RSPCA to see if they could send someone out to rescue the ducklings. He could see the ducklings swimming under the grate. They fell through a drain hole. But they were unable to get out, and their mother was really getting stressed, quacking and quacking, carrying on. And so the inspector with the RSPCA was talking about the circumstances when he arrived to help the ducks. He said, I used one fishing net to block the drainage hole, and somebody else used another net to scoop them out. I was able to safely catch them and put them into a box. Well, that wasn't the end of it, because they have to release the ducklings, and reunite them with their mother as quickly as they could. So they decided to lead the duck mother to a nearby lake and do the reunion there. So as she walked with a box of ducklings, uh, the mother duck followed closely behind um, so that she she wanted to be back with her babies, quacking the whole time. And once they reached (laughs) the lake, the mom duck hopped into the water, and the uh, helper, the good uh, Samaritan, let the babies out of the box. Well, immediately, the ducklings knew where to go. They headed straight for the water and swam off after their mother. So when the babies fell down in the drain, the mom duck knew there was no way she was going to leave without them. 
I imagine she was delighted that someone was able to rescue them. Can you imagine that? So sweet. They could not be separated. She followed the box all the way to the lake and watched, you know, got into the water, and they saw her, and after her they went, and they, they swam off happily ever after. It's a wonderful story. Well, speaking of birds, I want to share this scientific finding with you. Um, you know, birds are able to change their culture to become more efficient, according to this new research from Max Planck Institute of Animal Behavior. Gee, it would be nice if humans would be a little bit better about that, too. Yeah. Anyway, an animal's culture is considered to be any behavior that is learned from others, shared by members of the group and persistent over generations. Yeah, that applies to humans as well. Well, cultural traditions are known to exist in many animal groups, including us, monkeys, dolphins, whales, rodents, and, and birds. Now, there's a, a bird called the great tits, and they provide, they tell us, a classic example of animal culture. In the 1920s, birds in a town in Great Britain were observed to open the foil tops of milk bottles to steal the cream. Way back when, when we drank out of glass milk bottles in the 1920s, Well, this behavior among the great tits began to uh, spread over 20 years until birds throughout the entire U.K. were doing the same thing. Now, in 2015, scientists experimentally confirmed that great tits were able to maintain cultural traditions among themselves, such as a new way of feeding, what scientists refer to as an innovation, could be taught to a single bird, and that solution would be learned by other birds and gradually spread throughout populations and entire countries. But for great tits and other animals with cultural traditions, it was still not known if groups can change. Once a tradition has taken root, are animals condemned to repeating the same behaviors, or can they pivot to more efficient ones? That was the question for the study. Well, now, this new study has demonstrated that more efficient behaviors can outcompete and establish inefficient behavior. In other words, we're talking here about evolution of behavior. The study pinpoints a fundamental process called population turnover. This is very interesting if you think about it. The population turnover is crucial for the ability of animals to change their traditions. Look at what's happened in human society. Well, this was published about the birds, anyway, in the, current, in the journal called Current Biology. It was published last month. And the study involved teaching wild-caught birds to solve puzzles and fine-scale tracking of their behavior. And that has provided quantitative support for the evolution of culture in animals. Experimental evidence of cultural change in animals is pretty rare. So according to a doctoral student in the research group of cognitive and cultural ecology, he said... They were surprised uh, surprised and excited by the outcome. Everything evolves. Everything learns. Hmm. And in the American Southwest, researchers are wanting to reintroduce a native animal. Anybody care to guess what that might be? Well, they've already done native bison, and they've reintroduced wolves, and it's been environmentally beneficial. Well, now they're looking into other once plentiful species that could be used to restore original ecological balance. And the latest effort is one to reintroduce the jaguar to the American Southwest. You live out west? Wow, here it is. Now, jaguars were native to the Americas prior to the arrival of colonists, but human hunting led to their extinction in North America 
by the mid-20th century. Now, new research published in the Conservation Science and Practice finds that jaguars could successfully be reintroduced to southwestern states and will increase their chances of long-term survival and restore balance to the ecosystems that they once played a vital role in. Now, the Wildlife Conservation Society, which is a supporter of this initiative, issued a statement and said, if done collaboratively, reintroduction could enhance the economy of this region and the ecology of this incredible part of the jaguar range. Initial reintroduction would likely allow 150 cats to be released into a highly monitored habitat with more to follow if the project appears to be successful. That's good for the, for the environment, but it's going to freak out a lot of hikers, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> I remember what, you know, in the old days, old days, when I used to hike, we would see jaguars. So that gives you some idea of my age, mid-20th century. <laughs> but, um, you know, that, that would really kind of freak us out. So anyway, just saying. But it's, uh, it's a lovely, lovely idea. Uh, taking the habitat back, good for them. This is an amazing story. Everybody uses hot water. We all use hot water. It all goes down the drain. Well, did you know that the hot water that you send down the drain can be used to regulate the temperature of buildings? Man, it's called sewer heat recovery, and this process essentially captures warm water from showers, washing machines, and dishwashing, and stores it in a heat-consistent pit. Now, this stored water is then used to heat and cool nearby structures. The concept is garnering attention as a green temperature solution, and now Colorado is building the largest sewer heat recovery project in North America. Now, this green heat created by the capture system will avoid carbon emissions equivalent to driving a gas-powered car around the equator 250 times. And once the recycled water is captured below ground, a massive pump circulates energy from the clean water loop to the surrounding buildings. This process is most effective when a large amount of wastewater can be collected. So installing sewer heat recovery requires overhauling entire structures, but fortunately that makes it perfect for large new construction projects such as stadiums, uh, other places like that. Now they say hopefully Denver's pilot project will serve as a blueprint for other large projects looking to green up their construction. Creative, inventive, yeah. amazing, amazing. Gosh, now we could just find a way to save our water. All right, now I don't know what I think about this story, but it's news, so I'm going to share it with you. You guys kind of know how I feel about AI stuff. But here it is. They have invented something, uh, an automated beehive monitor, that will monitor bees' health to prevent colony collapse. So this was uh, created by a startup company, and they call it Bee Home. And it is a fully oper uh, automated superhive that's powered by artificial intelligence and robotics which will enable 24-7 remote monitoring and significantly, significantly re reduce annual colony loss, according to the company. The robotic beehive has been created with the purpose of safeguarding the future of essential pollinators that make critical contributions to aquaculture and thus our food all around the globe. So now what they've done is they've broken away from the traditional shape of a beehive. They have created an 8 by 8 by 6 cube which houses the equivalent of 24 hives, or 1 million bees. 
Now, this integrated technology enables beekeepers to remotely address the temperature, infestations, and local water and forage supplies, all of which affect the health of bees. And in addition to enabling remote monitoring, the robot within the hive will feature an arm that glides down the aisle between subcolonies, removing honeycombs while also capturing photos and videos that are translated into data to be figured out by the software. And in turn, the software will be improved according to machine learning, meaning it will teach itself, and that it will enable the automated hives to reduce annual losses from 40% down to less than 8%. Well, time for an editorial comment from Anastasia. (laughs) At least I think it's time, so I'll just say this. It's a shame we can't do it ourselves. It's a shame that there isn't a more natural method uh, to take care of this issue, but I think what they're thinking is that if we don't continue to lose our bees, we're all going to starve to death. So let's find something that's going to protect the bees. So they're using artificial intelligence now and robotics. Time will tell if this is effective and to what extent they decided to use it. I know there are a lot of organic uh, beehive people. <laughs> that's not the right word. But people who raise bees that would never think of doing that. Um, they use their connection to the bees and their consciousness to further the health of the bees by their personal attention. But nevertheless, I think probably something like this would certainly work for commercial uh, honey uh, making and stuff like that. All right, enough of Anastasia's comment. Now, here's a story about, this is amazing. It's another one that just astonishes me. Somebody has developed a lamp, a light, that runs on seawater. It's called Waterlight, and it was designed for off-the-grid communities, specifically in South America. You know, we take electricity for granted. We always have lights because most of the Western world is connected to electrical grids, but there are still parts of the world that are too remote to have any access to electricity. Can you imagine? Well, in Alaska and and Australia, communities are powered by diesel, and more sustainable off-the-grid communities by solar. But way down in South America, actually the northern tip of South America, where Colombia and Venezuela meet, that is so remote and so very impoverished that there's limited access to electricity. But the seawater is abundant. Well, now seawater is being used to power small lanterns that will light up the darkness for the native people that live there. This is a handheld lantern. I've already told you it's called Waterlight. This works on just two cups of seawater. Now, electrolytes in the seawater react with magnesium and copper plates in the lantern. This is a process that you probably know is called ionization, and that creates electricity. They tell us that with one charge, it can be used for around 45 days. That is amazing. Now, this lamp was created by a startup company, and they say, unlike solar devices, it's not weather-dependent. One lantern is expected to provide 5,600 hours of electricity, which can last for up to three years, depending on how much it's used. It can also be used to charge cellular telephones. So isn't that something? Um, Wow. Now, an additional benefit is that since the ionization separates salt from the seawater, It can be used for washing or drinking. And when the lamp reaches the end of its life, it can be recycled. And the lantern that they're testing now is specifically uh, designed for this tribe, an indigenous tribe. 
which has been living in this remote area and has been completely removed from the rest of society. They say that they chose this community because they've been forgotten by their government. Well, the water light allows the children to study at night and people to work after the sun goes down. Fishermen are using the lamps on small boats so they can fish at night, and it's making a big difference in their lives. So there is, again, genius creativity at work. Amazing stuff. Lamps wow. from seawater. Here's a story that you won't forget. This is about a man who lost his dog. In 2016, a man named Michael and his family were about to embark on a road trip when his three dogs got loose. Now, honestly, haven't all of us experienced our dogs running off? Well, imagine, three dogs got out. Two of them came back to the car. But a dog named Sam, a Labrador, who was only four months old at the time, never came back. Oh. The man looked everywhere. He drove around his neighborhood in Georgia, checked the shelters, but this guy, who's an Army vet, couldn't find his dog anywhere, and he loved this dog. He said, I told my wife, hey, I'm going to find this dog. I never stopped. I always, even now, I still follow the shelter's pages just in case he would have shown up. Well, eventually the family moved to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, but the man refused to believe that this dog, Sam, was gone for good. He traveled back and forth to Georgia, hoping that Sam would turn up. Then, nearly five years after Sam went missing, the man got an unexpected phone call from something called City Dogs Cleveland. The woman on the other end says, we have Sam. The man says, in the back of my mind, I'm going, this can't be the same Sam. This is Ohio. This is like almost to Michigan. So I'm like, can you describe him for me? And she said, he's a lighter-haired dog. And I'm like, where are you and when can I pick him up? Well, they identified the dog because they scanned him for a microchip during a medical exam. And he was identified. And the day he got the call, the man made the eight-hour drive to Ohio and prayed that this dog would recognize him. After so many years, the man had changed. He had a beard and long hair, but the dog had changed too. And he says, I'm quoting him, as we get up there and I'm waiting for them to pull Sam out, you can just see the anticipation on my face. I was like a kid at Christmas. Well, the man was thrilled out of his mind to see his dog again. And although the dog, Sam, seemed a bit confused by the new look, the beard, this dog couldn't stop jumping and wagging his tail. Now that the dog is back home with the man, his best friend, the guy says he's never letting him out of his sight again. Uh-huh. Now, you know, that gives you pause. Here is consciousness in action. Not only is there a heart connection with this dog, an energy connection, this man knew something, and he didn't let go. Now, that doesn't always work, obviously, but I'm telling you, sometimes it's just magic. When you, when you really feel something from your heart and you hold on to it in your mind, wonderful things happen. Bless the dog and bless the man. It's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story. And that's what love and consciousness can do for us. Here is a story uh, I wanted to share with you about young person unselfishness. A Missouri kid, a uh, young guy, actually, whose last name was, or his first name was Joshua, 
was awarded a full-ride scholarship to Southeast Missouri State University. He got an award, scholarship. Well, he felt terrific. He felt blessed that he got this scholarship. And he wanted to pay it forward. So you know what he did? He donated his college savings to another college-bound student. Now, this 18-year-old was one of only five students awarded with this Distinguished President's Scholarship at the university. And uh, over 300 people applied for this $43,000 scholarship. So the scholarship will cover his tuition, his boarding, and all that. And now because money for school isn't an issue, he, he's donating his $1,000 college, college savings to this other student in need. So what they've done is he hopes that other businesses and private citizens will feel inspired by his donation and match it. So he started the Joshua Nelson Leaders in Action Scholarship Fund to help other students. And if you want to help, you can visit the school's website. But that's a lovely thing, setting the example. And right. we're almost finished, but I have to tell you about the turtles. New Jersey local residents were able to rescue more than 800 baby turtle hatchlings from storm drains. Here we go with the storm drains again. After getting ready for tonight's news, I'm thinking, I think I ought to look in storm drains more often. Maybe something in there needs help. First it was baby ducks, and now it's baby turtles. Well, there was this post shared by Stockton University on Facebook that showed that uh, they are carrying about 826 diamondback terrapin hatchlings in their vivarium. It's because local volunteers pulled the, the baby turtles out of storm drains in Ocean City. So what they did was they pulled them out, um, and what, the, the turtles there will cross the streets in great numbers, and they'll fall into these drains. So they gathered them up, all 800 and some, 26 of them, took them to the vivarium, and the, plaid, the staff there will rehabilitate the, the reptiles. So this vivarium is home to over 1,000 terrapin hatchlings, and since they added the 826 new babies, they tell us it's now reached full capacity. So, wow, wow, that's a lot of turtles, and that's really cool that they were saved and people were paying attention. All right, yeah. last story. You know how I am about plastics. Well, here's a story that I wanted to share. There are nine ways that we can help remove microplastics from the environment by, by being mindful at home. And, you know, microplastics are now everywhere in our environment. They're in the air, the water, the foods we eat. These fragments of plastic are less than five milliliters in, in length, which makes them about the size of a sesame seed or smaller, and many are just plain microscopic. Our consumption of microplastics is shocking, up to about 52,000 particles each year per person, uh, but that number relates only to the quantity that we eat. Tens of thousands of particles are added to that estimate when we account for airborne particles, as well as microplastics consumed from plastic bottles. Now they say, you know, we know for sure that bits of plastic is harmful to the body, but it certainly is harmful to animals and marine life. I mean, it's just terrible what's in the ocean, all the fish and ocean creatures full of microplastics. Well, it's not difficult to radically reduce the amount of microplastics we put into our bodies and into the environment. And they tell us we just need to change certain 
household activities. So I'm going to give you the nine tips. Number one is to avoid drinking from disposable plastic bottles. Now, that's really hard to do. The only thing that we really can do is get a good water filter put into our kitchens or into our houses so that we don't have to use plastic and we're still getting clean water. If you can't, do the best you can. And if you really do have to drink water from a bottle, try to find it in glass if you can. That's, we'll just say we aspire to that. If you can't and you're drinking from plastic, please recycle the bottles. Number two, choose natural fabrics. Hey, let's go for cotton and hemp and stuff like that. A lot of the other fabrics that we wear have microplastics in them. And, uh, you know, when you wash your laundry, I bet you didn't know this, the clothes dryer releases microplastic into the air. So they tell us if we line dry our clothes, we're really going to be helping the environment a lot. Now they are making personal care products that have things called microbeads. Well, if you want to help the environment, don't use products with microbeads. Toothpaste, face creams, many products now are including this. Not good for your body, not good for the environment. Number five, don't microwave plastic containers. That's a no-brainer. I bet all of you know not to do that. But I bet you didn't know that when you microwave plastic containers, yes, you get plastic and chemicals into your food, but it's also released into the air. Uh, again, I touched on install a filter for your drinking water. Stay away from single-use plastics if you can, if you have an option. Um, I know a lot of restaurants and places around the country are now uh, going to paper straws instead of plastic and paper cups instead of plastic. So think about that and be supportive of those particular businesses that do that. Don't use plastic tea bags. You know, not all tea bags are paper anymore, they're moving to plastic tea bags. Boycott that, use paper. And the last one is don't use glitter. Glitter is a, a microplastic, and uh, it's something that we look at for a few minutes, and then it gets discarded, and it scatters throughout the entire environment. So be mindful and walk away when it comes to glitter. All right, let's talk for a moment about Einstein. When I read these kinds of stories to you, I think about how we created our problems. How are we going to change? I think about the bird colony, the great tits, and how they learned to modify their uh, culture um, over time. And notice it was kind of uh, jumps a generation. And so as time goes along and we learn new things, we need to understand what Einstein knew many years ago. No problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. So shift our consciousness, we can solve a lot of problems. And hey, by the way, I have seen a pterodactyl. That was absolutely awesome. And, uh, you know, when I saw it, I knew that it was uh, very likely uh, coming through a higher dimensional penetration into our environment, into our 3D perspective. And uh, starseeds out there that want to understand maybe how we might uh, perceive a higher dimensional object uh, penetrating one of our dimensions or our third dimension, our own perception, what would that look like? How what we are seeing isn't necessarily what we think it is. You need to pick up The Fourth Dimension by Rudy Rucker. That is a, a physicist who wrote a fascinating book. Um, check it out. It really helps you to explain. It's full of some mathematical exercises, but it's a very profound little book about how we perceive higher dimensions if they interpenetrate our space and how it is that we 
should assume that there is so much more beyond what we can see and beyond what we think something is uh, than we might even imagine. This is a case where more learning is needed and oftentimes it's beyond our ability to know. But this kind of gives you an idea of what, you know, what might, the greatness that exists beyond what our consciousness can know. But I did see a pterodactyl. It was absolutely awesome. And there were witnesses, by the way. I wasn't the only one. So <laughs> fascinating stuff. You never forget it when you see something like that. Positively awesome. All right. Thank you for allowing me to be with you tonight. It's always great to be with you. I love each and every one of you. From my heart to you, much love, everybody. And we'll catch you again next time. Thank you, Ariel. Okay. Thanks so much, Anastasia. And I, I think we're going to hear some more about um, the winged aliens and, and pterodactyls and things like that from our guest oh, yeah. uh, with her new book. So more info coming. So yeah, thanks so much, Anastasia. We will talk to you next time. Yes, you will. Night, everybody. Okay. Night, night. Okay, so I am going to get Lavendar's mic open and our guest, Margie Kay, get your mic open. Okay, ladies, are you ready to go? Ready. I'm ready. Okay. Okay, Marjorie, I'm so glad that you agreed to uh, do our interview tonight. We were sitting on two days' notice, and I'm glad that you that you moved on a dime. So thank you for doing that. So pretty excited about this book that you've written called Winged uh, Aliens. So how did you get interested in this subject? Well, I'd have to say it goes way back to when I was a kid, I began to see things and realize that other people weren't seeing what I was seeing. And uh, then that just kind of developed over time until I got to the point where I was remote viewing and doing advanced work. And I think that that has everything to do with my interest in the, in the subject because I, I had seen and experienced things that most people didn't. But then in 2012, everything pretty much changed for me. I'd been investigating UFOs and paranormal, Sasquatch, all, all kinds of things for many years. But in 2012, I got my first report from a local person that had seen a winged creature that looked like a winged humanoid. And that really piqued my interest in this subject and so ever since then, I've been heavily involved in it. And by the way, I really need to talk to Anastasia about her sighting of the pterodactyl. Um, we've got a, I've developed a, a Google map. It's an interactive map with pterodactyl, giant birds, mothman, fairy sightings all over the, uh, well, the world, actually. Uh, we're going worldwide with this. So that's a work in project in in, in um, progress and so if anybody does see anything if you'll you know send me the information then I will get that on the map so that everybody can kind of trace these things and read a little bit about them wow I have not seen your map but I want to okay I want to so um, so how long have you been well you've been studying this most of your life right about well, elemental I yeah, I've been studying uh, elementals, paranormal and UFOs, uh, cryptids 
for most of my life since I really since the age of 11. I by that point I had realized that my family and friends couldn't give me any information about this stuff. And my mother actually kind of set this off. She gave me a book by Edgar Casey. And after reading that book, I realized there were other people like me out there. And so I needed to investigate this. And I started checking books out from the library on every subject imaginable. You know, anything that had to do with UFOs or the occult or magic or ESP, uh, I was interested in because, I, you know, I'm looking for answers just like everybody is that has experiences like this, wants to have answers. So I decided I would make it, uh, I, I at the time I didn't think it would take me that long to find out the answers, but I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, It's an ongoing thing. So did you also happen to read a, Ruth Montgomery's book about walk-ins when she first introduced it in the late 70s? Yes, actually I did. Yeah. I did, yes. And that book, wow, um, that was something new and different, but it also explained a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I, it's still explaining a lot. <laughs> it is, and I, I would I would suggest anybody read that. Yeah, if you're if you're curious about walk-ins, that's where it really started. So, how many case files did you include in your book? I've got over 120 oh, in the goodness. book. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's hot off the press. Just came out May 1st, but since then I've got two more reports. <laughs> so, uh, I have a feeling there's going to be a second edition probably within a year. Oh yeah, because people Cause I, will yeah. yeah people will be ignited by your book and they'll say, well me too, and they'll send you whatever they have, and you know that's coming. Oh yeah, yeah it's coming. Yeah, I'm ready for it. <laughs> well, can you tell us uh, a little bit about some of your interesting cases that are in the book? Yes, I think I'll start with the 2012 case because that's the one that really set me off on this journey. This is a gentleman by the name of Tony Dane. He doesn't mind if I use his name. And excuse me if I'm coughing because I've got allergy issues as well. But um, what he saw, he he was in Lee's Summit taking a walk one day. He had his cell phone with him. And all of a sudden he sees this cloud, this single, very small cloud in the sky no other clouds were around and he thought oh that's pretty strange and it was also very close to where he was walking so he stopped and he was getting ready to take a picture of it when this dark humanoid figure with big bat-like wings came down out of the cloud just floated and just very slowly moved its wings and stared at him with these menacing eyes, just stared directly at him. He was in such awe that he didn't even get his phone ready to take a picture. And he just stood there staring at this thing, and then it backed up into the cloud. And he's sitting there in disbelief at what he had just seen. He'd never seen anything like that before, although this person... Tony has had some strange experiences throughout his life, especially having to do with UFO sightings 
and also he witnessed a UFO crash uh, not not that long ago. So this is uh, the type of person that we call an experiencer, who someone who seems to have multiple strange experiences that are unexplained. And so this case then continued because not long after that, he was walking in the same neighborhood at night. And this first sighting happened during the day, remember. And no one else reported it. I think it was just for him to see. But anyway, a few months later, he was walking to the store. And it was at night. And he's on this sidewalk. And there's a bush up ahead. But on the ground in front of this bush is this winged creature crouching down on the ground that did not look human. It it and he since it was dark he didn't get a really good look at the features of the face. But he said it definitely was not human, but it looked like it was crouching on two legs, like it was a humanoid. And he believes it's the same creature that he'd seen earlier. So he's just stopped dead in his tracks and then backed up and went back home and forgot about going to the store. And since then, this same person has had several other sightings. And I'm finding that in these reports I receive from people, some of the same people have recurring sightings of this type of a creature, uh, a winged creature, which could resemble um, at times a pterodactyl or a thunderbird or a mothman, some call some have seen what's called a bat squatch in uh, Missouri and also Texas, where it looks like kind of a half sasquatch, a big hairy bipedal creature with wings, and uh, and in some cases people see fairies and other you know larger like ten inch tall types. Uh, which I think I I think I should go into that one. Um, they these this is a couple in Oklahoma, and they have seen. They first of all, the two of them saw a UFO one evening, and out of the UFO was what it looked like kind of a liquid, but it was on fire with lights and it and it just came down to the ground like something was dripping fire from it okay then the ufo's gone a few days later this is an older couple the man was in his backyard and he heard in his mind a telepathic message turn around and look at me he's like what so he turned around and here on this mimosa tree are several little tiny fairies. He can't call them anything else other than tiny humanoids with wings, only they looked a little bit different. They actually looked like they were part insect and part human. They had two legs, two arms, a a body, and wings. And one of them was just kind of laying back laughing and this man, you know, he's gone his whole whole life. They're in their late 60s, this couple. They've never seen anything like this at all. But 
then not long he tells his wife about this. Not long after that, his wife was driving near their house on a road, and she saw some small thing with wings come out of the woods to her right and fly in front of her car. So she stopped the vehicle, got out, and it was hovering several feet away from her, looking down at her, and she just stood there staring. Here is a small, fairy-like, humanoid creature staring at her. And she said it reminded her of, again, a cross between an insect and a person, although a little bit different than what her husband had seen. And then she went to grab her phone to take a picture, and it flew off and it was gone in a second. So she and her husband sat down and and drew these creatures, what each of them had seen, and and they're in the book. I, I put that in the book. So here is, and they've all, they've seen other creatures. They've also seen some winged creatures that are about ten inches tall. And this is more rare. I don't have very many reports of these, although there are a few. So they're a little bit larger. So the the first type, the little fairy types, are maybe four to six inches tall, uh, as described by people. And then the others are about 10 inches tall to 12 inches tall. Uh, It's anybody's guess what these things are, but there are many, many other reports. And the thing is that a person sees it, it disappears. They may not see it again for months or years and then they see something like it again but usually there's no one else around usually it's an individual that sees something in some cases there are a few people around and they'll they'll see the thing but you know there's very rarely evidence left behind there's very rarely you know any like footprints in the in the ground like you would see with say a sasquatch uh these are lighter objects they're winged creatures they're usually seen perched on something like perched on a house or perched on a telephone pole or just flying in the air in some cases they act extremely bizarrely in uh, in fact they in some cases they don't use their wings they don't seem to need their wings to fly. They just have the wings down and then shoot up in the air. Uh, it, it's a little bit crazy. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Let me ask you, uh, you said they were in Oklahoma. What town in Oklahoma do these people live in? What part of the state? Mm, it's, a, it's a very central part of the state in a rural area. Okay. I don't okay. know exactly where it is. Now, I had my own sighting of a giant thunderbird and this occurred one day after my daughter had a very strange experience and these are both in the book too but I'll I'll give you kind of a synopsis of this my daughter works for me in my office and one evening she works late she left her she left the office and went out to her car while my grandson who also works for me was still in the office and he was getting things locked up and and getting ready to leave when she heard something 
flapping, a flapping sound, and running behind her. So she immediately thought it was a person chasing her. She did not turn around. She just ran right to her car, opened the door, and jumped in, and then and closed the door. Right after that, something dark came to the back of her car, and she drives the Dodge Charger and enveloped the entire vehicle. And so all of the windows, including the windshield in the front, were covered. And she said it just reminded her of wings covering up this vehicle. She couldn't see out it had, and she was terrified, absolutely terrified. So she called me, and she called her son, and I took a look at the camera system that we have, security camera system that I can look at remotely, and I couldn't see anything. My grandson also looked at the system from inside the building, and he couldn't see anything. Then she said this thing simply dissolved. It didn't fly off. It didn't disappear. It dissolved into nothingness. So she had the feeling that this is something supernatural, uh, maybe something interdimensional that happened. So she told me, so I knew about this. The next night, I was absolutely shocked when I saw a giant winged creature myself. And mind you, I'd never seen one before. I'd never seen a thunderbird before. I was actually outside on my side deck, and it was late at night. When I looked across my yard to another person's yard, so about 150 feet away, there are several trees, and there is this figure sitting in the trees with wings outstretched, and they were monstrous. They were at least 25 to 30 feet in width. I was in such shock at what I was looking at that I didn't, I couldn't move, I couldn't get up to go get my camera, none of that. And, you know, if you talk to other people who have had a strange experience like this, when they're in shock, they can't believe what they're looking at, that's what happened. You know, everything else just stops around you, and you just stop and stare. So I was looking at this creature. Its wings were not moving, but it was definitely outstretched wings that that I later looked up different types of of uh, winged creatures and, and birds to see, and it, and it was absolutely a thunderbird. But then I heard this noise coming from a tree to my right, so I turned to look, and here are these three gray winged creatures that had jointed wings like bat wings, not like a thunderbird, but more like bat wings, They were about 24 to 30 inches tall apiece. These three creatures were sitting in this tree. And I looked at them, and then I immediately looked back over to see this larger being because I thought, that has to be related. These two things going on at the same time, maybe these are its children or whatever, and it was gone. It was just disappeared. And there was no noise, there was no wings flapping, none of that. So that really made me come to the realization that we're dealing with some creatures that have the ability 
to move through space and time, to move uh, to other dimensions, and exactly what they are is anybody's guess. But based on the evidence that I have collected, at least some of these things I believe are actually ETs. They're extraterrestrials. And as we know, UFOs have the ability to move very, very quickly and also through space and time. They just simply appear and disappear, and the evidence is too great to ignore that. Well, if these things are related, if they are ETs, then that would explain a lot of things. It would explain why they can appear and disappear why they're not afraid of humans. None of these things seem to be afraid of humans. They seem to be interested in looking at us, staring at us, and even intimidating in some cases. I've had some cases where a person is driving a car and they see uh, what they call a Mothman or a Batman-type creature that's large, and it you know, dive-bombs the car. Uh, that is just not normal behavior for any known type of bird. Well, this certainly um, is is something that looks like to me you've been tagged it, okay? Because once it started happening to you, then you opened up the space for others to tell their story. So that's part of you writing the book. They probably had you picked to do this, don't you think? Well... I have come to believe that that is the case. Yeah, me too. Because, yeah, when I, as soon as I, as soon as it drew my attention to this subject, then the case files started coming in. Then it was on. It was on. Oh, yeah. It's on. <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it's never ending. I mean, I have people contact me that uh, they just hear about my interest in this or they run across my rep- website and they'll contact me and say, hey, you're not going to believe this, but I saw something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, though, the strangest case that I have heard about is someone that I'm familiar with. Uh, she reported UFOs and ETs on her property several years ago to MUFON. And our MUFON uh, Kansas City Section Director, Gene Walker, has been the main investigator on this case, and I've been on on site. So I've known this woman for several years, and she's very credible, and she's very detailed in her explanations about what she sees. So this is, I think, this is the the definitive case that leans towards these creatures being ETs, and the reason is because in her description, she was outside. She noticed a large hawk circling around her property. Just a regular hawk is all she thought she was looking at. She watched this thing for a little while, and then suddenly the hawk morphed into a silver UFO standard-type disc and shot off at incredible speed and out of sight. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Now, that one just blew my mind. Yeah, you nailed it. Yes. So (laughs) that, right there. (laughs) I wish there was a video of that. 
But I'm telling you, I believe this witness. She is very credible, and I don't think she would make something like that. It's too crazy to make something like that up. Yeah. So do you have plans in the future to uh, do conferences about this subject matter? Well, actually, I am speaking at the Oz UFO Conference June 5th and 6th, which is a virtual conference at um, oz-ufo.com is the website. I'm going to be doing a presentation on this. I'm going to be showing some pictures and some drawings on this subject. And I will be doing uh, future events uh, and, you know, radio shows and other conferences because I think this is the latest and greatest weird, strange thing that, that that's happening. Even though, you know, humans have been writing down uh, and there's evidence of winged humanoids and giant winged creatures going way, way back, thousands of years, actually. And then, of course, we had the uh, Point Pleasant Bridge disaster and people seeing the Mothman. But then in that case, there were also more UFO sightings than Mothman sightings, many more. And so that, you know, there's some connection with that. And I think that one kind of brought uh, attention to the subject to the public. But right now, why is it that there are so many of these sightings? And also in certain areas, the greater Kansas City area is a major hotspot for these wind creatures. Also, Chicago is. And right now, those two cities are the main ones. So, so is, what is it? Yeah, out what the, is it? Is it a, 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 in the country or is it in the city with lights that they're seeing this? Both. 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 Yes, and of course, there's. I, I've received reports from right in the middle of a city, and also in very rural areas. There and they are all over. I mean, in Missouri, we've got cases in southeast Missouri, central Missouri. Uh, St. Louis, uh, but the bulk is, has been in the greater Kansas City area. And I'm. it could be just because I'm zoned in on this and that's where I'm from, but maybe not. Maybe it's happening everywhere and people are just not reporting it because they're afraid to sound crazy. Well, maybe you're the one to start it. You know, I am thinking about when I went to Europe and saw some of the cathedrals and mansions and and uh, castles. They have these winged creatures up on top of buildings and statues. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, the gargoyles and and yeah, yeah. It makes you wonder uh, yeah. where they got the idea for that. Right. <laughs> where did, you know, and and what are they there? Are they're supposed to be there to protect the buildings, I believe. Well, Da Vinci, he did a lot of that. The Da Vinci, um, of course, they didn't say it in the Da Vinci Code book, but if you investigate Da Vinci, he was all into winged creatures. Yeah, he was, and flying. Yeah. (laughs) It makes you wonder. Well, I think it's time that a lot of things are are coming to the surface. I know that after 2012, um, it was almost like somebody turned a light bulb on on the planet, and we got to see more than we've been able to see for a long time. And as each eclipse happens, and as, as, as these seven years have progressed since then, 
uh, I think it's time for a lot of things to be revealed on the planet, including disclosure. So what you're hearing about disclosure now as you're investigating all these things, and I know you're in touch with a lot of people that are dealing with disclosure, what's the latest thing that yeah. you found out about the timing of disclosure? I'll tell you what, the the community, the UFO community, in general, believes that this coming disclosure by the CIA was set up by uh, our president, uh, President Trump. But I'll tell you what I think. I think all of these leaks and all of these uh, photos from and video from the Navy and the Pentagon were planned. Now, supposedly they were leaked, but I don't think so. I, what I really feel like in using remote viewing, it, and I'll just leave it at that, uh, contacting some of the ETs that I'm in contact with telepathically, they have wanted this for a long time, and they actually said to our governments, if you don't do it, we're going to do it. So I think that this is a lead-in, just getting us ready over the, the last few years and having things gradually be released in the media, and now they've really ramped it up. I mean, it's a, a daily basis now that the media covers this. And this dump that comes out, I think there's going to be a lot of information in there to let people know um, a lot more. But if you think about it, they probably had good reason for covering it up, because if you have something that is far more intelligent than you are, and has more capabilities than any of our military does, that's a scary thing, and you don't have any control over it, that would leave the public feeling very vulnerable. However, it's my opinion that since these extraterrestrials or interdimensionals, like because I have a feeling that uh, a lot of these objects and ETs are really interdimensionals sharing our same space, just in a different dimension. And then once in a while, they'll pop into our dimension and pop back out. So they're not really traveling, you know, millions of light years away to get here. They're no, right there anyway. No, I agree with you. Totally. Yeah. But if they wanted to hurt us, they would have already wiped us out. So I don't think that that's their intention. I think most of them, and, in, and some of the ETs I'm in contact with, like Valiant Thor and... I'm also in contact with a mantis being, have told me that they're here to help raise consciousness. That's their main purpose. Yeah, we've had Craig Capabasso on our show several times, and yes. we're totally in support of him doing the movie about Valiant Thor, the big screen movie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm good friends with him. I had him come to Kansas City and do the premiere of the movie. The, uh, the short movie. Oh, good. Uh, Stranger at the Pentagon. And, uh, in fact, Craig is going to be speaking at the conference, too, the Oz conference coming oh, up. Look. Oh, good. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear yeah. that. Well, I'm very excited about receiving your book, and, and I'm wanting to um, stay in touch with you so that we can talk later about things that you and I can talk about not on the radio show. 
So let's keep in touch, and I'd like to pass you over to my co-host, Arielle, at this time because she has the switchboard. So thank you so much for moving on a dime and being our guest this Tuesday. And back to you, Arielle. Okay. Well, um, first of all, if there's anybody um, that's already on the switchboard, if you have a question for Margie, you just need to press 1 so that we know you want to come on and ask the question. And if you're listening on the computer, then just pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292, and then once you're in, press 1. Now, having said that, a lot of our listeners will listen in the archives, you know, and download the show later. So um, we don't often have a, a lot of callers. But I just wanted to put that out there in case anyone does have a question for you. And now that you mentioned um, that about about Craig and Valiant Thor, I remember the last time Craig was on the show with us, he was about to go to um, was it wherever you we were just talking about to uh, to show the short film A Stranger in the of the Stranger at the Pentagon. So ah. and so that's been it's been about a year, hasn't it, or more? Oh, uh, I had him here uh, several years ago, 2015, I think. Gosh, <laughs> time flies. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, so you are still you're in contact with Valiant Thor? Oh, yes. Ha- have yeah, been well, my entire life. Now, I, I, I didn't know it until 1985 when he appeared to me in person. But then I realized that his voice is the same voice that I had been hearing ever since I was a little kid and would give me guidance. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, for the um, listeners that might not have heard those shows in our archives, uh, could you just kind of give a quick explanation of who Valiant Thor is and um, you know, what, he, what his objectives are? Sure. He is a real extraterrestrial. He says he's from Venus, but I feel like perhaps further than that. But anyway, uh, he visited the Pentagon from 1957 to 1961 and spoke with President Eisenhower. And he offered to give humanity some gifts and one of them being no more illness and uh they took some time quite some time to make a decision and then Eisenhower came back and said I'm sorry we can't have that because it would destroy our economy so therefore uh we all still get sick but uh and you know he did bring some Information. He and his brother were actually at the Pentagon together and his crew. And then sometime in 1961 or 1960, he contacted Dr. Frank Stranges. And he asked him to visit with him, which he did near the Pentagon. And then he kept in touch with Dr. Stranges for many years after that. And he told, you know, gave him information. And he also helped, he saved Dr. Strange's life a couple of times when 
people tried to take him out to quit talking about this stuff. And because he was letting people know the truth and he was having meetings in California. And so then Dr. Stranger's wrote the book, Stranger at the Pentagon. So I suggest, you know, that anybody who wants to know more about Val Thor to get that book to start with. And then Dr. Stranger's wrote a few other books. They're very small. They're not as detailed as I would have liked to have seen because I know that he had a lot more information uh, that he could have shared, but at least it's a start. And in 1985, I was in Seattle, Washington, lived there for about a year. I went to see a, a massage therapist, and that day I had my brother and my two children with me because we were going to be doing something uh, after that right in town in Seattle where this therapist was. And I'd been seeing him for quite some time. So when I was getting ready to leave, he all of a sudden said, would you like to see do a light experiment? And I looked at him, and I realized he didn't sound like himself. He wasn't acting like himself. So I knew instantly my spidey sense turned on that something was <laughs> up, and somebody else was actually talking through him. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do a light experiment. And we're standing next to the door, uh, and there's this big bookcase along the wall, and he had this red and green light, huge lights, like traffic lights. And so he said, well, stare at this green light for this amount of time. Now look at the red one. And so I'm looking back and forth at these things for a couple minutes. And then he says, now what do you see? I look up. And I see the skeleton standing there. It's not him anymore. I see completely through. I don't even see his body at all. Just his skeleton. And he's talking to me. And I said, I see your skeleton. And he said, good. Then, <laughs> over to my right. Yeah, I know. I, it, if it didn't happen to me, I wouldn't believe it. Right. <laughs> over to my right on the wall is this face that has appeared on the wall, has a helmet on, comes to a point in the middle, comes down his ears, and it's a man. That's all I can see is just the head. And he says, I am Thor, and I'm going to be in touch with you in the future. You're going to be doing some things for me. And I knew he was an extraterrestrial. That's all I knew. And then he disappeared. And I turned and I looked at my massage therapist, who now is acting like he doesn't know anything has happened. And I looked at my brother and my kids, and I said, did you guys see that? And they said, see what? Oh, gosh. So uh, I'll just skip forward to realizing who he is, who Valiant Thor is, and being in contact with him on any type of basis. I want. If I want to contact him, I can any time. But I don't a lot because he's very busy. But if he needs, if he wants to contact me, he does. Sometimes it's usually telepathic. Most of the time it's telepathic because that's much easier. But I have also visited his ship uh, that's at Lake Mead by remote viewing and also by astral travel. At one time, I, I astral traveled, and I didn't realize that I, I fell asleep while I was meditating. So my astral body went out, which is something I don't like to do because it just 
it's too much trouble to do. I, I normally just send my etheric body out if I want to remote view something. But I had sent my astral body out, and I was having the Valiant Thor and uh, off the ship. She's a vice commander. And they had to grab my elbows to keep me to get me up because I was sinking into the ground because I hadn't used my astral body in so long. I wasn't used to it. So they're like laughing and I'm trying to get used to my legs again to just walk normally or float in my astral body. And that, that was a pretty funny event, but I've been on his craft. I've seen the propulsion system. I've seen uh, where they grow plants and vegetables because that's the, most of their diet, what they eat. And, you know, they've shown me around the craft, uh, they have they've told me that my purpose here is to help raise consciousness so i've been keenly aware that that's what i agreed to do before my birth uh for, you know in the past several years since uh since this happened and he contacts other people in the same manner so there are about one in every 100,000 people that are tasked with this purpose. And he gives hints. He, you know, tells me things to write. He had me do the Unex News Magazine, the Unex News blog, the books that I write. That's all because, mostly because of Balthor's influence. And also he directs me, might direct me in a different direction or give me some ideas uh, to do or to try, but but also um, let's go back to that to what happened in Seattle. Uh, as soon as I forgot about this part, uh, as soon as Thor appeared on the wall, he said to me, "Now you have X-ray vision." So at the time, I didn't know what he was talking about. I you know I could I could see the skeleton. Well, I didn't realize how far this was going to go because over the years he gave me that ability well i've honed it now to be able to see uh, organs and blood and veins and uh, muscles and see everything inside the body and locate where there might be a problem and i will see sometimes i'll see it and i'll know what it is and other times i don't know what it is because i don't have medical training but i'll explain what i see and then the person will go to the doctor get a testing done and it, it, so far, I've been 100% accurate, which wow. is, amazes me. It really does. But it's not me. It's something that was actually given to me by this created being, Valiant Thor. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so, it, it, it yeah, blows yeah. my mind, too. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I I, use a, I completely you know, believe what you're telling me though, because it's it's um, other things that I've that I've heard, especially where Valiant Thor is concerned, um, it's it's completely credible. So um, we do actually have two callers waiting to speak with you. Okay. Um, so we have um, first off um, Gus, who wants to know more about your remote viewing. So let me get that mic open. Hi, Gus. You are on the air with Margie. Go ahead. Hi, Ariel. How are you? Oh, hey, Gus. I thought that might be you. Hey. Yeah, that's me. 
Hi, Margie. So yeah, I was just curious about the the remote viewing. Uh, if you were doing that uh, employed by the government, and that's how you no. met Val Thor, or uh, if you no. do some of that on your own, I, but, I uh, actually if you could just speak to that. Yeah, um, I actually discovered remote viewing on my own in the mid 1990s while I was doing psychic readings for people. Then one of my uh, clients who happened to be an attorney gave me a call one evening and she said, please help me. My 14-year-old niece is missing and they can't find her uh, since this afternoon. She should have come home like 2.30 or something. And so in, in trying to figure out how I'm going to find this girl, I felt this uh, stream of energy come out of my solar plexus and I just followed it. So I, later I, I figured out this is my etheric body. And I, I just followed it to and found the girl. I found the, the street signs, the address, the house, found the missing girl in the back uh, in a shed. She was tied up and, and duct taped, and she was knocked out. She had been drugged. And these people, this was a very, very bad group of people, the, uh, they had already actually been to that house talking to the woman this 30-year-old woman had befriended this 14-year-old girl, which they thought was kind of odd. She kept visiting her at the, at the bus stop. Well, it, it turned out, long story short, this was a human trafficking ring, and they had lured this girl in. Well, the police had already visited and talked, but they didn't go in the back. They didn't go in the shed. So I told my client that she had better get back there immediately because the girl was going to be gone in the morning. She called the detective up, and he went with her. They found the girl. She was unharmed. They were shipping her out in the morning. Wow. So the three, these three people were arrested and, the, the, you know, yada, yada. But uh, that was my first time to discover remote viewing. And so my technique, I don't know what the government's technique is other than uh, uh, you know, a little bit of information about it, where they had you, you got two or three people involved. Um, you've got to be real quiet in a in a private room, and then they might just give you a number or a letter or something like that. And by that, you you know, you give the information. Well, that works very well, but my method works really well for me, and I actually teach other people how to do this. I do. I wrote uh, the remote viewing workbook which anybody can go through, and if you practice that, uh, that will help. And I also uh, do classes, and I'm working right now on an online class that anybody can just uh, click on and, and do uh, anytime they want. So that course uh, should be ready within the next few months. Very cool. Well, thank you, Margie. Appreciate mm -hmm. it. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for calling in, Gus. Nice to hear from you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so and uh, next you're going to be talking to James, and um, he wants to know more about the pterodactyl sightings. Okay, James, how you doing? We're doing fine. Thank you. <clears throat> Good. So you are on the air with Margie, so go ahead with your question. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Margie, I'd like to know if there's been any other pterodactyl sightings along the Blue River or along, up into Independence, Missouri. 
there have been a number of pterodactyl sightings in the greater Kansas City area and, and also into Kansas, into Overland Park. The one that comes to mind for me in Independence is a recent one that happened on 291 Highway and 23rd Street, if you're familiar with that area. A man saw a gigantic creature floating on the air currents, and he pulled over to watch this. And this is, you know, this is a very busy area. It was during the day, in the afternoon. There were lots of cars going by. Nobody else seemed to notice this. But he stopped, and he stared at this. He said it couldn't have been anything other than a pterodactyl, the way it looked. So, yeah, they are, they're, they are in Independence, and they're all over Kansas City. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very thank you. much. Okay, thanks for calling, James. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Wow. This is like a record number of callers. Um, next, uh, I think the note says the name is L. I could be wrong about that, with a question about hypnotism. So let me get the mic open. Okay. Hello. Is, is your name L? Did I, did I get that yes. right? Okay. Yes. So go ahead and ask your question to Margie. Okay. How you guys doing? Thank you for all that you do, first and foremost. And uh, my question is about um, hypnotism. Uh, were you hypnotized? I mean, you already spoke to you um, was already doing, you know, psychic readings. But what do you think or feel about um, being hypnotized to activate those things, you know, your spiritual gifts? Well, actually, I've never thought about being hypnotized to activate spiritual gifts, but I I would think that that would be a useful tool for it because you're actually uh, contacting the subconscious and the superconscious when hypnosis is done. I have been hypnotized in the past in order to recall some UFO encounter events because I had a you know, some questions about those things that I couldn't recall uh, normally. But, um, yeah, I think that would be uh, a useful tool. Sure. Mm. Okay. And now that movie, The Men Who Stare at Ghosts, that's basically um, what the government was doing to strive to weaponize uh, those spiritual gifts too, correct? Yeah, that movie? sure. I think that uh, that it could be used, you, you know, for other purposes because with remote viewing, you have the ability to look at anything. Certainly for me, it's the present or the past. I have a, a little bit of luck with the future, but not, not much. It's probably just because of my own blocks. But, uh, yeah, you... You can use it for a lot of things. Now, there are some things I don't use it for, and I do not choose to use it as a weapon, and I and I don't ever look at anything that's top secret. I'll just not even go there. Okay. But, uh, you know, it can be used for a lot of things, but I choose to use it for positive things. Okay, I don't know if anybody's behind me, but I've been studying uh... – Hemisync lately, you know, and binary beats to um, 
basically connect the left and right side of hemisphere of the brain. Yes. And I'm wondering if uh, that's like the Monroe Institute was doing those kind of things back in the day. Because I think well, they, I, they're basic. Uh-huh. Are you? I, haven't, I haven't been to the Monroe Institute, but I do know that uh, people do have a lot of luck using the binary beats, also using uh, the solfeggio tones. If you go to YouTube and look up solfeggio tones uh, and music, if you listen to that music, that will open up the psychic center of the brain. So there are things, and, and, you know, and I teach that sort of thing in my class. There are some uh, all types of different methods. I'm, and I think the main key is meditation. And if you can get some help with the meditation by listening to certain types of music, that helps immensely. Mm. Do you know how to spell that off the top of your head? Sofeggio? Yeah, S-O, I think it's L-L-F-I-G-G-O or G-G-I-O. You get, just put something in there like that. Or just go to my website, margiek.com, M-A-R-G-I-E-K-A-Y.com. You'll see a link there to some of the Silvagio tones. And you can just listen to the tone, but um, and, and that will get you started. But I prefer to listen to music uh, with those tones. Mm, okay. Yeah, awesome. you can find all kinds of good stuff on YouTube. Classes and everything is there, right? Yes, yes, it is. Okay, awesome. Thank you. I don't know if anybody's behind me, but I appreciate you and all that you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And there's a lot of more people behind you than you probably can imagine. So, <laughs> a lot of, yeah, a lot of a lot of people are awake, um, but they're quiet. So, wow. thanks so much for calling in, Al. Definitely. Thank you for being in all that you do also. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, he's got some people behind him. I see an angel standing there right now. Ah, and I got shivers on that one. With wings. Yeah, 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 with wings. appropriate. So, um, well, on that subject, um, on angels, um, do you think that that there are different kinds, you know, like inter, interdimensional, um, you know, kind of the you know the, the holy what people would think you know angels of God or um, ETs, um, sh- you know, kind of <laughs> shape shifting so they don't scare anybody. They could be the same thing. They yeah, could be all the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. There, there are some things that, you know, are hidden from us. And that's one thing I have not been able to discern. It, you know, it, it could be that uh, fairies are angels or angels are fairies. Or they're ETs. Or they appear to us in a form so that we're not afraid of them. So we can communicate. Uh, and, you know, it's and I, I've even seen I saw an angel in Hawaii once that did not have wings, but I knew he was an angel. It, it's just 
some crazy stuff out there, but it's interesting. Yeah. And they walk among us. I'm sure mm-hmm. that, you know, most people have had, um, you know, close proximity, but, you know, they were just totally oblivious. So you know, I have once to agree you, with you. Yeah, yeah. You know, and once you open up to the possibility, that's probably the moment that your consciousness takes a, a little step up when you open to, yeah. to, you know, possibilities and, and you know, accept the, the knowledge that what we think is real is probably not. You know, in the third dimension, you know, this is the way it is, and that's, that's you know, never going to change. <laughs> I mean, we hear all the time about uh, previously thought, um, you know, theories or hypotheses that have been, either proven or disproven so it's it's always evolving and hopefully so are we sure yeah yeah we are we are evolving and there are beings there that are have been there and then one day you recognize it it's like an aha moment you know and because i know i've seen non-human entities uh most of my life but other people next to me, even my siblings, would look at the same person and not have a clue that they're an, a more advanced being. And I believe that that has to do with your vibratory rate. Your rate of vibration has everything to do with your world and what you perceive and what you can interact with. And it's just uh, a constant, constantly growing and increasing your vibratory rate, and then you're able to see higher dimensions. So I think that a lot of what's going on right now with these winged aliens and with ETs and UFOs and even paranormal ghosts and spirits becoming uh, more and more visible to people. More people are coming forward and saying they're seeing these things because the veil between the worlds is thinner because of our position in the cosmos and and you can certainly talk to that more than I can. Uh, and you know our timing. Uh, it's it's becoming a new world. We're moving to fifth dimension, and those of us that are moving with it and increasing our vibration vibration are able to interact in this new world. Uh, I completely agree. And certainly, um, you know, the more people. Uh, raise their frequency the more discoveries they'll make and will be made and or they'll read about um, but would you say that I mean it, it sounds maybe oversimplified but you know it's like well how do I how do I raise my frequency how do I raise my vibration um, is it really more simple than people would think well, no, I don't think it's simple. I think it's a process. And at least for me, it's been a process since childhood, becoming aware of something, wanting to know more about it versus ignoring it, which is what most people do. Or in in many cases, the parents will tell the child, no, you don't see that. You don't. There's no such thing as ghosts. There's no such thing as UFOs. 
just ignore that. And then the child learns to block it. And that's very unfortunate in our society, which, you know, it's changing now. But when I was a kid, that's how it was. And I, I quickly learned that I could not talk about certain things with my friends. That was taboo, and I was, I was termed, you know, I was the crazy one because I was seeing yeah. this stuff. Uh, but now people are waking up. They're more apt to, to discuss it. We've got social media so people can find people are, that are like mine and they can talk about what they're seeing without being any fear of being ridiculed about it. And so, you know, the world is changing and vibration is increasing. So, you know, it's more accepted now. Right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, even, you know, 12 years ago when we started, um, we were still kind of like an underground thing. You know? <clears throat> Excuse me, but. Right. Yeah, but more and more people, um, you know, they they, and I think that, that we're having some help from from the, you know, from the Federation, from the ETs that are helping us through this, um, you know, and they get, people get words, you know, that come in their sleep, like the word starseed. And then they get up yeah. and they Google it, and then before you know it, they're having a session with Lavendar or or with me or something. It's like, it's like um, we are getting some help. Yeah, and that's why you guys are, are getting so inundated and have, you know, so many people wanting more information. But but that idea is planted in their mind. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's purposeful. It's time for them to wake up. Right, right. And images. You know, there's been all kinds of images and symbols that um, were designed to, you know, trigger a wake up process. You know, eleven eleven. Um, yeah. You know, people people seeing owls and. You know, I mean, there's just so many different kinds of symbols that have a very spiritual um, substance to it. And, they, and then they start, it's like, how come I'm seeing this all the time? And then they get on the Internet, and before you know it, they've, they've started their journey of awakening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it's fun to watch, and I'm, I'm so glad that things have improved so much over the years. You know, I, uh, the last... 40, 50 years that, that I've watched this happen, the world has changed big time. And we found each other. They, these groups of people who are on the path have found each other and we're helping each other out in different ways. And there are, there are different paths, but they're all going to the same place. And there are different methods of getting there, uh, you know, studying Meditation, studying, remote viewing uh, are just part of, you know, that's, that's just one option uh-huh. to, to get there. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm glad to see. And, and, you know, every, every time we're on and Anastasia talks about, you know, people with random acts of kindness and the good Samaritans and people getting together to solve a problem because, you know, the government wasn't doing it, so the people, you know, take up a cause and they get it done. And mm-hmm. and I really see a lot of um, younger people um, exemplifying this kind of behavior, and that's very encouraging. It is. 
And since you mentioned younger people, we do have a lot of star seeds and star children coming in now who are very in tune, very intelligent, and and they just know things. They just already know. They're already experiencing these things as young children. And it's quite something to watch. I think it yeah. is a testament to the vibratory rate of the planet being at, at a higher rate so that these uh, higher beings can come in. Exactly. Exactly. And it's it's just all part of a huge orchestration. Uh, and we see it, you know, when we take our groups um, to Arkansas for the Starseed Quest, um, we'll have, you know, like this last time, we had, I think the youngest person was uh, 16 or 17, and then, you know, all the way up to, you know, late 60s, even 70s. And and there's there's a unity. And it's just a beautiful thing to see. Um, and, oh, and on that note, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, um, we did have some people um, registered to come to the Quest from, from Europe, but they had to, those flights are not going to happen. So we've got like 10 spots open for August when before it was full. So if anybody, if anybody is interested in joining us in Arkansas in August, um, just send us an email. We send it to crystals at starseedhotline.com, and we'll get you hooked up. And uh, that includes you, Margie. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll look at it. If, if, uh, if the dates work out, I will come down. Excellent. I, I have to take two trips in August, one to the uh, MUFON Symposium in Las Vegas, and uh, hmm, can't remember the other one, but it's something. <laughs> oh, I'm, okay. I'm doing an investigation. Okay, yeah, in California. Yeah, well, yeah. we'll we'll send you some info, and cause we're going again in October, and then again in November. Okay. So, um, yeah, we have uh, really great great gatherings, and and the the frequency gets higher each time. So it's it's a lot of I'll groundwork bet. has already been done to benefit the people that come for the first time. Mhm. Sounds wonderful. So, well, this is, this has just been a pleasure having you on the show. I mean, you're so knowledgeable, and you've had, you know so many um, experiences that that other people, you know, maybe we're afraid to talk about. But we do encourage everyone to go to Margie's website, which is Margie K, M-A-R-G-I-E-K-A-Y dot com. She's got a lot of resources there. And um, is is your new book, Winged Aliens, um, at all the normal outlets as well as your website? Yes, yes. Uh, mainly Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Yeah. Okay. And cool. all the links to to all my books are on there directly from that site, Excellent. and also on my uh, publishing site because I'm a publisher as well at unxmedia.com. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So um, we just thank you so much uh, for the work that you've done and that you continue to do in helping to you know solve mysteries and and bring certain things to light. So thank you so much for being with us tonight. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. It's our pleasure. So we're going to wrap it up here. And uh, just remind you, we'll be back in two weeks. And um, check out Margie's website. And if you do want to come to Arkansas in August, we've had some spots open up. So there you have it.
And um, until next time, be kind to each other, show compassion, and abandon judgment. Those are really important steps to get to 5D. So until next time, everyone, good night. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 